can I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6, if you have a Bible this morning. Uh, as has already been said, this morning, just in recognition of the great impact that the Queen has had upon the world, and especially our nation throughout her life and reign, and uh, in light of the great loss, humanly speaking, that her death is to us and to so many people around the world, Pete and I thought it best to postpone the beginning of our new sermon series and instead give attention this morning, at least in some small way, to the Queen and to recognise and give thanks for her life and her witness. But we also want to do this in such a way that it serves to focus our far greater attention on the Queen's King, on the Lord Jesus Christ, whom she herself eagerly served and loved and hoped and trusted in the King of Kings, uh, with whom she is now joyfully at home with in glory. So as I thought about this over the last few days, there are three things in particular that I want to draw our attention to about Elizabeth's king this morning. Three things that her life and her reign, her words and her example so helpfully remind us of and testify to about King Jesus. Uh, Here are the three things up front. First of all, that Jesus is the king who reigns forever. Second, that Jesus is the king who serves and saves. And third, that Jesus is the king who raises us from the grave. And uh, although this isn't going to be sort of just a regular, uh, normal expository message, just unpacking one passage in God's word... I do want to begin by reading from Isaiah 6, and and then let me encourage you just to keep your Bible open there for the rest of our time, because we're going to keep returning to it. It seemed to me like an especially appropriate passage of Scripture as we think about the Queen's King together this morning. So this is Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I, says Isaiah, said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So, three things that Queen Elizabeth's life and reign so helpfully remind us of about King Jesus. Firstly, Jesus is the king who reigns forever. Now, it was um, 5.30 p.m. on September 9th, 2015, that Elizabeth became our nation's longest-running 
longest reigning monarch, surpassing Queen Victoria, her great-great-grandmother. And uh, Queen Elizabeth was 89 at the time and had ruled at that point for 23,226 days, 16 hours and 30 minutes. And yet that was seven long years ago. I don't know where that time has gone. And I'm not sure I could easily do the maths to work out how many days and hours and minutes she eventually reigned. It is certainly hard to believe, isn't it, that we will ever have a future British monarch who will reign nearly as long as her. And as has already been said this morning, you just consider until Thursday, only a tiny fraction of us in this room had ever known another monarch upon the throne. Not only has she, for most of us, been queen all of our lives, but her reign has also spanned some massive historical changes and technological advances and uh, cultural events from TVs being gradually introduced into people's homes, perhaps particularly because of her coronation, <laughs> to the first email being sent through to internet and media being everywhere. And now some people are driving electric cars and we're all carrying mobile phones. From man's first walk on the moon to the building and the breaking of the Berlin Wall to the September 11th attacks to the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. D during her reign, she oversaw 15 different prime ministers, beginning all the way back at um, Winston Churchill, all the way through to welcoming Liz Truss just two days before she died, still serving her nation. Our nation and the world has seen so much change throughout her 70-year reign, but for all that time, it was the same Queen Elizabeth II sat upon the throne. She seemed to many people like something of a fixed point in a constantly changing world. And maybe some of us kind of felt, in the back of our minds, like perhaps she'd always be there. Maybe she would always reign. But as the Queen herself would have been the first to acknowledge, every human reign must inevitably come to an end. Every human government, ruler and kingdom will one day fall and pass away. It has always been this way. And when Isaiah 6 begins with the words, in the year that King Isaiah died, Isaiah is not just making a kind of a date reference, a, a chronological reference, so that his readers can have a vague idea of when he was in the temple, when the Lord appeared to him. It's not kind of like, oh yeah, do you remember that year when, that year when King Isaiah died and those other things happened? That, that was the year. No, these opening words, in the year that King Isaiah died, they tell us that a seismic change had just taken place in Israel at that time that made the vision Isaiah then received from the Lord so vitally important and timely. Isaiah had been king of Judah for over 50 years. Most people there had never known another king on the throne. And his reign had embodied something of a sense of stability in difficult and turbulent times. There had been ongoing threats to Judah from other nations and world powers during his reign. But while Isaiah was on the throne, Judah had remained largely safe and had prospered under his rule. He'd been a pretty godly king as well, not perfect, but reasonably godly, which must have brought some measure of extra reassurance to God's people as well. 50 years for them of constancy and prosperity, but now suddenly he's gone. King Uzziah has died. And it's in the context of that understandable shock and sorrow and loss to a nation that Isaiah receives a powerful vision from the Lord. 
an unforgettable reminder of who it is that is really on the throne. He sees the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, so big that just the train of his robe fills the temple. Uh, Now, the train of a robe, uh, if you're not familiar with this, if you don't go about wearing robes that often, the train of a robe is the long flowing bit that comes out the back and sweeps across the floor. And in ancient times especially, the train of a monarch's robe was a symbol of glory and power and victory. Queen Elizabeth had an impressively long train at her coronation. There you go, can you see it up there? That long purple robe with the white trim. But in Isaiah's vision, the train of the Lord's robe is so big that it doesn't just cover the steps behind him. It fills the temple. And looking upward to the throne itself, uh, and, and the Lord sat upon it, Isaiah sees and hears angelic beings, seraphim, who with covered faces go on proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled is full of his glory. Now, there are so many things that could be drawn from this passage for our benefit. But I think perhaps the most timely thing for now is this fresh and vivid reminder, especially in times of uncertainty and change, of who it is that's really in charge. We all of us, naturally, as human beings, desire safety and security and stability. Carl Lafferton this week in a In a tribute to the Queen wrote this, he said, Something in us craves the constancy of something that doesn't change, of a rock you can put your foot on and know it will never move. And when big and unwelcome changes do happen, any one of us might find ourselves, even against our better judgment, feeling apprehensive and even afraid. But if our trust is in the Lord, like the Queen's was, we need not be afraid. For the Lord God himself is our king and our protector. We, as Isaiah is being reminded, are not kept ultimately by human rulers, but by the mighty power of God, whose glory fills the whole earth. And his reign will never, ever come to an end. The queen couldn't go on reigning forever, but her feet were firmly planted on the one who can. Her feet were firmly planted on the one who sits enthroned beneath the seraphim, upon the King of kings and Lord of lords, upon Jesus. The queen's unswerving confidence was not in herself, but in Jesus. And on the day that she was crowned queen in Westminster Abbey, June 1953, she was presented with a Bible and these words. We present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. And she took those words to heart. She received the Bible as the living word of God, the most valuable thing this world affords. And she recognized, as every Christian does, that there is only one ultimate king who will reign forever. Only one king whose kingdom will never come to an end, whose promises will never fail whose words can be, entrust, can be trusted to endure. And for the last 2,000 years, men and women of all ages, from every kind of home, class and background, have come to realise, just like the Queen did, 
that Jesus is the only true rock. The only one strong enough and sturdy enough to stake our very lives upon. And so millions of people, just like you and me, have gladly surrendered their lives to Jesus and built their lives upon the solid rock of his word. Blessed are all who take refuge in him, the Psalms promise us. Their foot shall not be moved, they shall never be shaken. Jesus alone is the king who reigns forever. And so the wisest thing, the safest thing, and the most reassuring thing any of us could ever do is bow down before him and worship him, just like her majesty the queen did, and lean the whole weight of our trust upon him. And it's even wiser still when we remember, secondly this morning, that Jesus is also the king who serves and saves. In this article I mentioned by Carl Lafferton, he mentioned that of all the books written about the Queen over the years, there was only one book that she personally agreed to write the foreword for. The book was published by the Bible Society for her 90th birthday, and it was wonderfully titled, The Servant Queen and the King She Serves. So I just think that's a fantastic title. And here's what Carl Lafferton wrote. He said, there will be many millions of words written about the Queen over the coming days. But however smooth or eloquent, it's unlikely any eulogy will sum her up better than the title of that book. Though she was herself a queen, her majesty always knew she had a sovereign and that he loved her, died for her, had forgiven her, and now called her to live a life of loving service in response. She may have been a queen, but she saw herself first and foremost as the subject of the king. She counted it an honour to gladly serve the king of kings. And because of that, she in turn reflected something of the servant heart of Christ to all those that she met. I heard someone point out just the other day, she must have met thousands, if not maybe millions of people in her lifetime and yet you notice she never looked tired of giving attention to each and every person that she came face to face with and met, uh, no matter whether they were a billionaire or a bin man. She always seemed to show the person in front of her uh, her full attention and showed a genuine interest in what they had to say. She herself may have been royalty, but she demonstrated what Paul calls every Christian to in Philippians 2 verse 3 when he says, in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. The queen was a tireless servant, and in her serving, she reflected the heart of Jesus. But like us, so importantly, her hope was not in what she could do to serve Jesus. Her hope was not in what she had done. Her hope was solely in what Jesus had done to serve and save her and all who trust in him. She herself said of Christmas, this is the time of year when we remember that God sent his only son to serve, not to be served. And in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus tells us to just what extent Jesus came to serve us. That he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 2,000 years ago, God became man, that the Son of God left his heavenly throne and came to dwell amongst us, but he didn't come to tell us how we could earn our way back to God. 
how we ought to live a life of serving God in order to one day go to heaven. No, Jesus, the King of Kings, stepped down from his throne and entered our world. And this next bit never stops being incredible. He came to serve us. To serve us in our greatest need. To serve us at the greatest possible price to himself. To lay down his life for us. His blood was the ransom for our sins. His death, the price of our forgiveness. And as the Queen said in another of her Christmas Day speeches to the Commonwealth, uh, this time in 2011, she said, Jesus was born into a world full of fear. The angels came to frighten shepherds with hope in their voices. Fear not, they urged. We bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And the Queen went on, although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness and our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. The Queen knew what the Bible makes clear from end to end, on practically every page, that we are all of us rebels against a holy, holy, holy God. We are all sinners in need of a saviour. And she knew that in order to know God and be right with God, we needed not just a helping hand, but for God himself to come down and forgive us and save us. Just like Isaiah, who when finally confronted with the sheer unadulterated majesty and glory and holiness of the one who sits on the throne said woe is me for I am lost from a man of unclean lips and I dwell in, a, in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts all of us stand before God as desperately unclean sinners in need of a saviour in need of someone who, like that burning coal that was taken from the altar, could be held forth to touch us and declare, Behold, your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Graciously and mercifully and miraculously, God himself sent just the person we need. He sent King Jesus, a saviour with the power to forgive and the queen gladly acknowledged that Christ was her king and her only hope and her saviour, that he took upon himself her punishment for sin and so paid the price in full for her redemption and every single Christian believer's redemption. And because her trust was in the king who serves and saves, just three days ago, she walked spotlessly into his presence and receive the richest possible welcome, a welcome that awaits every single believer. Which leads us, I think, quite nicely into our third and final reminder this morning. Queen's, Queen Elizabeth's life and death reminds us that Jesus, finally, is the king who raises us from the grave. Now, um, however old or young we are, we've probably all had the experience of watching the queen grow older. We even see it through the different images on, of her on coins, don't we? Maybe kids, you've looked at coins and, or listened to Siri, but looked at coins and 
seen the sort of different faces of the aging queen on there. She, of course, continued to serve quite tirelessly, but she was growing older and physically weaker year by year, as do we all. And I think that's probably what's one of the things that's shaken people about her death. Not only do we mourn the queen's passing, but her death reminds us that we all will die. That none of us, not even the longest reigning British monarch in history, lives forever. And, and so whether we're royalty or just a regular Joe, no matter how, how, how healthy or unhealthy, busy or inactive our life might be, we all of us are getting unceasingly older year after year after year. None of us can escape the reality of aging and the inevitability of one day coming face to face ourselves with death. And even if others at our funeral might one day say of us, as I'm sure thousands have been saying these last few days of the Queen, that hers was a life well lived, that ours was a life well lived. Well, still a life well lived does nothing to deal with the, that last great enemy that awaits us, death. What hope is there for any of us in the face of a foe as mighty as death? Well, only the hope that is given us in Jesus the king who raises the dead. In John chapter 11, Jesus hears that his dear friend Lazarus has died. And so he goes to be with Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. And, and here's what we read in John 11, verse 23. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I and the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Certainly Her Majesty the Queen believed this. And so even in her death, she points us to Jesus because we don't grieve as those who have no hope. I don't know about you, but I've been thinking more about my eternal hope again these last few days since her death than I have for a while. My own hope has been stirred by remembering where she now is, as it is every time we remember a brother or sister in Christ who has gone home to be with the Lord. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And because he died and rose again, all who trust in him and die will also one day rise from the grave with new, imperishable resurrection bodies to, to enjoy a, a whole new and, and unimaginably glorious life forever with him. But even now, before Jesus comes back to make all things new, those believers who are away from the body, the scriptures tell us, are at home with the Lord. That Jesus says, they shall never die. And now when we, when we read Jesus' words to Martha then, do you believe this? I think it's really much more than just a question to one individual. It's an invitation to all who are willing to listen, uh, to princes and paupers, to monarchs and to housemaids. Do you believe this? Just a few chapters earlier in the same book, John famously writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe this? 
Jesus is saying to each and every one of us listening this morning, our queen believed this. And so we can be confident she didn't approach death with a mental list of all the good deeds that she'd done in the hope that it would be enough to earn God's favour and earn eternal life with him. She knew she couldn't save herself. Like every Christian, she knew she could not justify herself before God. But she also didn't approach death with any great fear or trepidation. She knew in whom she had believed. In him who died and rose again. In the king who overcame the grave. And who had already a long time ago washed away all her sins. You and I this morning, we don't have to be a queen or a prince or a philanthropist or anyone impressive at all, to share Queen Elizabeth's confidence, we simply have to be a Christian. To be someone who recognizes our sin and guilt before God and cries out to Jesus for forgiveness and rescue. That's what it means to be a Christian. And all those who accept the king's gracious invitation can be assured of everlasting life with him. One more time. A quote from Carl Lafferton, he said, in these last months of her earthly life, the queen had suffered with her own mobility problems, but not today, not now, for my monarch was also my sister and will see her again standing on steady legs before the throne of the king she knew and loved and served. Our sister Elizabeth is now at home with the king of kings, May she, like every Christian, rest in peace and rise one day in glory. This morning we do give thanks to God for her and for her 70-year earthly reign. But we also give far greater thanks still to the Queen's King. Our King, King Jesus, who is the only King who reigns forever. The only King who serves and saves. The only King who is able to raise us. And all who put their hope and trust in him from the grave. Well, let's, let's trust him. Let's pray and offer praise to him again together now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life and reign and faith and witness of our Queen. Thank you, Lord, for her own personal faith in Christ. And for the way that she gave so much of her life to being a servant Queen. This morning, Lord, along with the Queen and all our brothers and sisters who are already in glory at home with you, we lift our voices in praise and thanksgiving for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Saviour and our King. We thank you that he will reign forever and ever. Thank you, Lord, that his kingdom will never be shaken. We thank you that he came not to be served, but to serve and to save to the uttermost every sinner and rebel who runs to find rescue in him. And Lord, we thank you that he has overcome the grave for us. That through his death and resurrection, there is no more guilt in life or fear in death for those whose hope is in him. Father, we do pray, please continue to use the Queen's legacy of faithful witness. Please comfort all those across our nation who are in mourning and lead them through our witness too to find true peace and forgiveness and rescue in Jesus Christ, the Queen's King. Amen.